Well, please do turn in your Bibles back to Matthew 6 and have that open in front of you. I'd like to start with a question this morning. How public is your faith? There are some events which are designed to be public. They're made specifically to grab our attention and to focus ourselves on them. Last week, you can't have missed it, Oops. No, there was the royal wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And they didn't elope to a registry office in Gretna Green. They had it in a cathedral in the middle of London. They had horse-drawn carriages. They had choirs. They had several bishops. They had all the pomp and the pageantry that you would expect from a royal wedding. And the entire event was designed to say to the world, Look at this. See how good it is. Everybody, pay attention to us. Now, we may not be royalty, and we may not be on television, but there are plenty of ways in which we are encouraged to get the world's attention, to get the world to look at us. I mean, think, for example, of the example of social media. It's very easy for somebody to only put posts up online or pictures which they think that their friends will like. People can become obsessed with how many likes they have or how many retweets did their latest message get. The point is to try and get people to like you, to see you, to see how good you are. There are many people who kind of lead a double life. On the one hand, on their Facebook or on social media, they have the happy, perfect, always smiling version of themselves. And in real life, they have the more complicated, messy, struggling version of themselves. Now, in our passage today, Jesus says that the Christian faith must not be fake. It cannot just be a show where we put it on for others. It has to be authentic. Who we are in public should be the same as who we are in private. There should be a real what you see is what you get aspect to our Christianity. I don't know if any of you watched the royal wedding. I don't know if any of you were interested. Um, But when Megan arrived at the front of the church, Harry looked at her with a total look of love, real love. He didn't think as she arrived, oh, I wonder what expression will be the best to get the press's attention. Um, Or how can I best sell this moment? No, because he loved her in private, when she appeared in public, it just naturally flowed out of him. He looked at his bride and his love was on display. He didn't care what anybody around him thought. It's how Jesus wants us to be in our faith. We look to the Lord, we 
serve him in love, and we do not care how we look to the rest of the world. Jesus is very serious about this. Just have a little look at verse 1 for a moment, if you have your Bibles open. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. It's a warning, you know, be careful, danger ahead, take care. If you remember from last time, at the very end of chapter 5, the very first verse before it, Jesus says that we must be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And what is the one thing that we need to be aware of? What's the one thing we need to be warned of that will drive us away from being like the Father? It's living out our faith or doing our acts of righteousness, as Jesus puts it, just so that other people can see them. And Jesus does illustrate this with three examples. He says about giving money to the poor, praying to God, and fasting can all be acts of righteousness, but they can also all just be done in a way which puts the attention on ourselves and takes it away from God. And Jesus uses very strong language. He says that if we do this, then we are a hypocrite. In the first century, the word hypocrite literally meant an actor, someone who plays a role on a stage. You know, if you watch a James Bond film, Daniel Craig does not go out spying for the British government between roles. When he finishes, he goes home back to his house. But in the first century, when an actor went on a stage, they didn't have very much makeup or many props even. Instead, what they did was they wore large masks to show the role they were playing. And Jesus is saying to you today... Be careful, your Christianity isn't just a mask you put on for Sundays and for home groups and that you take off at all other times. Are you the same in private as you are in front of others? If you're a parent, you know that your children see you when you're at home. They know what happens behind closed doors. Ask yourself, would they notice a difference? How much of your Christianity would they see at home with you? And if your family members can see a difference, then isn't it very clear that God could see a difference between how you are at home and how you are the rest of the time? Now, you might hear this about having a private faith and think, well, wait a second, doesn't this contradict what Jesus said earlier? Isn't that what we heard last time? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. How, wait a second, how can I let my light shine in front of others and at the same time be careful not to do acts of righteousness in front of others? Well, Jesus is the best preacher he ever, who ever lived. And he isn't so dumb as to contradict himself in his own sermon. There is a huge difference, isn't there? Between, on the one hand, acting righteous, you know, pretending to be good in order to be seen, 
And on the other hand, being seen because you're acting righteous. See the difference? It's the difference in the motive. Am I doing this because I want to get attention? Or is it just that I am being seen because my lifestyle is in a particular way? Too often we want it the wrong way around. We want to pretend to be Christians when we're around Christians so that others in the church will think well of us. And then the rest of the time we want to act just like the rest of the world so the world will think well of us. Who do we want to be praised for our actions? Ourselves or God? Where does our sense of encouragement come from? Where does it matter that we're seen? By Facebook or by our Father? This is something that we must all struggle with. I struggle with this. If I preach in a certain way, will people like me more than if I preach in a different way? At the end of the service, do I want people to think, wow, what an amazing God we have? Or would I quite like it if people said, wow, what a great preacher we have? Well, I have to question myself. Am I the same person when I'm preaching as when I'm at home in my quiet time? Or do I put on an act? I'm not saying that congregations should never praise their ministers or their leaders. You should. Uh, Your leaders need encouragement from the congregation. But it's easy for any of us, no matter what our position is in the church, to make what should be holy and precious acts, what should be acts of selfless service, into things about ourselves. Did anybody notice me doing that? Am I being recognized for it? Nobody is immune to this. There is... Sorry. Sorry, one of my pictures seems to have slipped out. Um, That's okay. Um, We'll come back to that in a moment. But So there's an American preacher called John Piper... Uh, that you might have heard of. And um, if you have, imagine his picture. And he has a huge church in America with lots of different campuses, like lots of little sub-churches. He regularly publishes books. He's on the radio. He's at all the big conferences. He is a big name in evangelical circles. But in 2010, he confessed to his congregation that he could feel pride growing in his heart. He knew that his public ministry was feeding his ego and he was worried that if he continued in that way, he would no longer be serving God, but just himself. So with the agreement of his elders, he agreed to step down for six months. He stepped down from all public preaching conferences, blogging, tweeting, anything where he could get public praise and he went and served God in secret while he wrestled with his pride. And after six months out of the limelight, 
he felt that it was now safe for him to get back into a pulpit and be on public display. It is an issue we must all wrestle and deal with. We must not be hypocrites, brothers and sisters. We know that hypocrisy disgraces the church. You know, when a minister is found to be acting immorally, it makes newspaper headlines. Jesus says that God is not pleased with hypocrisy throughout the Bible. Even in the passage that we've looked at this morning, he says three times that if you're a hypocrite, then you have received your reward in full. If you live for the praise of others, then that is all the blessing you will ever get. If all you want is applause and nice comments and a good reputation, God will say, by all means, have it, but I won't add anything to it. That will be all you get in this life and the next. But when you do things in secret, when you live for God and his glory, God knows and he blesses you. We can be confident that whatever the world thinks, whatever the world might think about us, God knows what we're doing and God cares for us. Now, perhaps this morning you are not a Christian. Perhaps as you listen to me talk about hypocrisy, you say to yourself, see, I've always known the church was full of hypocrisy. I've always known the church was full of hypocrites. That is why I cannot become a Christian. Well, I'd like to challenge you today and ask you the question, why are you at church? Is it to look good? Is it because you think it's the right thing to do? If you're not here this morning to worship God, then you are a hypocrite. And even if you don't think that applies to you, even if you're only here because a family member dragged you along, let me challenge you further and ask the question, do you always live by your own standards? Do you follow the advice that you give to other people is who you are the same person that people see when you're in the workplace do you pretend to be better than you really are now if we were honest and we must be honest we'd have to admit that hypocrisy is a universal problem no one is immune to it And the point of Christianity is not to say, if you become a Christian, you can become perfect just like us. You don't have to know Christians for very long to know that isn't what we're saying to the world. No, what we're saying is, Jesus invites you to come to him and be forgiven for your hypocrisy and to know the love of the Father. Every time Jesus identifies a hypocrite in this passage, he counters it by saying to the Christian, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
He isn't saying that Christians work to earn the Father's love. No, it's a reassurance that he gives to us. We can be authentic because God knows everything we do. We will not lose out by living for him. Instead, he will reward us even for the things which we do in secret. Are you tired of the pressure to perform this morning? Of trying to be one thing in front of one group of people and one thing in front of another? Then Jesus says to you, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you want to know God as your father? Do you want to know his love? The Bible says, the verse is on the screen, that all those who believe in Jesus have the right to become children of God. Confess you're a hypocrite and come to Jesus this morning and he will receive you and will not turn you away. It's not if you look good enough. It's not if you're the best of the best. He makes his offer to everyone. Come to him as you really are and be forgiven. Now, I know that we have spent a long time on what might feel just like the introduction. But really, the rest of the passage is Jesus illustrating this one point with the three examples. Giving to the needy, praying to the Father, fasting. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list. As if hypocrisy only showed itself in these three areas. No, Jesus is using these examples as a way of covering the whole of our religious life. Each one can be done for ourselves, or each one can be done for the glory of God. And we will look briefly at each. First of all, giving. Jesus doesn't say um, when, if you give, Jesus doesn't say occasionally if you feel like it. He says, so when you give to the needy. There is an expectation that Christians, that his people will be generous people. Now in the Old Testament, there were rules about how much you were to give. You gave 10% of your income as a tithe. And at other times, though, you were expected to give more. If you saw somebody in need, you were expected to help that person, not simply say, well, I've done my bit, that's the end of it. But by the time it had come to Jesus' day, there was a problem because some of the leaders in Jesus' time wanted everybody to know how good they were at giving. And they would literally blow a trumpet so that people would hear the noise and know, oh, look, here's somebody who's so good. Once again, they're giving money to the poor. 
Now, I know in English we have the phrase, blow your own trumpet, but it's not usually taken quite as literally as that. Now, you might say, well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Nobody in the 21st century Scotland would ever be tempted to blow a trumpet when they give money to the poor. We say, no, of course they wouldn't. We're much more sophisticated than that. We have much better ways of letting people know. We have the giant check for every children in need and red nose day so that everybody can see how much we've given how good we are. Or what about the simple fact that it's now almost impossible for an organization to raise money unless the people who are going to collect money for them can do a big event, a fun run or a climb or something like that and get sponsorship for it. People no longer want to just give because a cause is worth giving to. They have to do something that they can tell their friends that they've done. We have good friends who are involved in an outreach ministry uh, to international students. And they said, a recent conference of theirs, this is one of the problems they're facing as a Christian group. It's maybe a generational thing. But in the past, people would have just set up a standing order or they would have written a check and that would have been it. But now, people won't give the organization money unless they do a campaign first or unless somebody can be sponsored for something. And I know of Christian organizations and churches which are low on funds simply because people are refusing to be generous unless they in some way can boast about it. Jesus says, do not be like that. Be generous regardless of whether or not anybody says it. In fact, how does he tell us to guard against giving for the wrong reason? Well, he actually says, be so secret about it that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. I don't have the best coordination in the world, but generally, I at least have a rough idea of what my two hands are up to most of the time. Maybe not when I get really animated. But Jesus is saying, no, your giving should be so secret, even you yourself shouldn't know how much you're giving. Now, he's using hyperbole. You should keep a good watch of your finances. Uh, you should be caring for your family in that way. But that's how secret it should be. The rest of the world doesn't need to know. If something is worth giving to, if something is worth giving time or money or effort to, you don't need to boast about it. And maybe that will be hard. You know, in a church environment, sometimes we really want people to know how much we've put in the collection plate, or we want people to know the good that we're doing. Sometimes we're worried, is that person giving enough? Well, that's between them and God. You shouldn't know how much others are giving. We keep it secret, and we do it for God, and our Father in heaven will see what we're doing, and he will reward us for it. What about prayer? You'd think that prayer would be the one thing you couldn't do for yourself, right? I mean, we said earlier in the children's talk about the great privilege which prayer is. We get to talk to the creator of the universe. 
and he wants to hear us pray to him. I used to have work colleagues who didn't even want to hear from me, all right? But the creator of the universe wants us to speak to him. But again, in Jesus' time, hypocrites were, he says, loving to pray on street corners and pray in the synagogue. They didn't think their prayers were worthwhile unless other people saw them and other people knew how well they were praying. And there can be a temptation for us as well. I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer meeting and as you're praying, you hear somebody else say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, amen, Lord, to all of your points. And sometimes when that happens, you get to the end of your prayer and you think, that was a really good prayer. And another time you pray and nobody says a word, and you think, that can't have been a very good prayer. But you're judging it, aren't you? by how the other people reacted, not by whether or not God our Father heard it. So Jesus says, take this precaution. Make sure your prayers are done in secret by yourself. Now, is he saying, therefore, that you can never have public prayer? No, there's plenty of public prayer in the Bible. But the point is, your prayers in public should be an overflow of what you do in private. They should be an overflow of the time that you spend on your knees in the mornings or the evenings by yourself. Should you pray as a family? Absolutely. How will children learn to pray unless we are praying at home together as families? But even then, as a parent, you want to make sure you're praying by yourself first as well as praying with your children. But then he goes on to say that when we pray, it shouldn't just be, first of all, in secret, but also that we shouldn't worry about using too many words. He compares it to the pagans. The pagans in the first century, and in many places in the world today, used to have many gods. These are a selection of, the, of eight Greek gods, also Roman gods. And these uh, prayers in the temples for pagan gods would be done where people would list off every name of a pagan god in case they missed one because they didn't know whether or not they had been heard. And also, so that the priests of all the different pagan gods knew that they had been included in their prayer. They prayed so that they would be heard and used all these words to make sure that nobody missed the fact they were praying. But Jesus says very differently. He says that when we pray, our Father knows what we need from him before we even begin. And therefore, we don't have to use lots of words. Our prayers should be as long or as short as they have to be. If we have lots to praise them for, they can be long to praise them for those things. If we have lots to ask for, they can be long to ask for all those things. But they don't have to be long or short specifically. In fact, he even gives this example of how you should pray. The Lord's Prayer, the one we said earlier, as a model. And I'm sure that you know if you've uh, looked at the catechism, or I know that you did a series on the Lord's Prayer before, you could spend 
months just studying the Lord's Prayer by itself. And don't worry, we're not going to do that this morning. But I would just bring your attention to what are the first three things in the Lord's Prayer. They're first of all prayer to our Father in heaven. We say who he is and where he is. We say that we want his name to be hallowed. That means we want his name to be honored. That means we want God to be worshipped. And then we say to him, we want his kingdom to come. We want him to be victorious. And we want his will to be done on earth. We want people to be obedient to him. In other words, how do we guard in our prayer life about making ourselves the center? Jesus shows it in the Lord's Prayer. We put God first. We pray for his name. We pray for his glory. We pray for his kingdom. And then we are free to pray for all the things that we need, our food, our help, protection, and so on. And then at the very end of this section, Jesus says that if we forgive men when they sin against us, our Father will forgive us. And it's the same principle. Jesus wants us to be as authentic in our prayers as we are in the rest of our time. So if we are praying for a blessing for ourselves and for forgiveness for ourselves, then we should be prepared to want other people to have that same blessing and that same forgiveness. It is not, God, be good to me so I can continue to be evil to others. It's, God, be good to me so that I can be good to others. And finally, fasting. First of all, we have to ask the question, what is fasting? I know it's not something that we really do very much these days, but it means a complete breaking or complete stopping of having any food or water for a set amount of time. If you think at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, you think in the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. And the reason that they used to give up food and drink was so they could concentrate more on God. We still have that word in our language. In the mornings, we have breakfast. We have breakfast as we break our evening fast and as we eat for the first time at that point. But the problem in Jesus' time was that people were giving up food for God and then they were looking so somber and so sad so that everybody would know they were on a fast. Everybody would know they were making a big sacrifice for God by the way that they looked. They would look miserable. And Jesus says to them, don't look like that. Don't look miserable. Don't look downcast. Have a shower. Do your hair. He says, anoint your head with oil. Literally means just do your hair and make it, you know, today we might say put your hair gel in so that you look decent to the world and it's not obvious to the world that you're sacrificing for God. Now, we can even today look too somber and too miserable. Well, sometimes we make a sacrifice for God and we look a certain way so that everybody will know that we've made that sacrifice. But I wonder actually sometimes today if the problem isn't in the opposite direction. 
That actually, we're not hypocrites today by looking somber so people look at us. Instead, we pretend to be much better than we are. We pretend to be much more happy than we are, much more joyful than we are. You know the kind of thing? I'm a Christian, so I must always be smiling. I mean, I lost my job, been evicted from my house, dog died, my wife left me, but ask me how I am on a Sunday? I'm fine. It's all okay. Everything's happy with Jesus. That's hypocrisy on the other side. Jesus says, no, you're to be authentic. Don't mess yourself up so people will say how hard done you are. But don't be hypocritical in the other way and pretend to be doing better than you are when your Christian brothers and sisters ask if you need help. Don't pretend to be something that you aren't. Jesus wants us to be authentic. For every act that we do in our Christian faith, there are two audiences. There is the world and there is God the Father. And Jesus says to us, act for the Father in everything that we do and he will love us and take care of us. Don't perform on a stage. Don't wear a mask. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Be authentic. Which is more important to you this morning? The love of the Father or the love of the world? Let's pray.